Uh, thank you guys. Hey, welcome back, Pastor Hello. Mike. Hello. Hey, thank you. It's so good to be back. Good to see you all. Um, yeah, so that was a crazy trip. I think it was 80, like 82 hours um, in transit for 53 hours on the ground. But it was an amazing, amazing time. Let me give you a quick overview of some of the work that World Vision does in Uganda. Just so you know, there's 147,000 sponsored children in Uganda, which is incredible through World Vision. But you have to remember that something like 75% of the, of the population of Uganda is under 25 years old. So you can imagine the amount of need there is when it comes to kid, world kids. World Vision hires close to 9,000 employees, local employees in their work in Uganda. So it's really phenomenal. The, the sponsorship that you do, as Bernie said, lifts up four kids as well as the child that you are sponsoring, but really it also funds all that work. And that work is not just limited to child sponsorship, right, Mike? Some of the other things yeah. that they do. Why don't you tell us about that? Oh man, Tim, I just gotta say, it was yeah. so fun yeah. to travel with you, but it was even better to travel on behalf of this community. It was. Yeah like a point of pride for me just to stand there and to know that our community just went in for this uh, endeavor. It was so amazing. We exceeded our goal for, yes. what, what were the numbers? So, so we were hoping to get 300 across our network of churches. We ended up with 432 sponsorships. So thank you for that. That's amazing. Well done, Crosswalk, well done. Yeah, so we, uh, wow, we, we left here Sunday afternoon. We got to Uganda Tuesday morning, and then we just hit the ground running. Yeah. It was like I said earlier, I think I left a part of my heart in Uganda, but really my spirit hasn't caught up. Like, <laughs> we're like, we got back yesterday afternoon, and it was amazing. So many stories to tell. I just want to highlight a couple things. The choosing party was phenomenal, so cool. so right? Cool. They had this red carpet that the kids would all dance down all the way to the choosing tent. And then as you saw this one, kids were in there just dancing the whole time as they're like, some of them, like, they go back and forth and they would look for who they were, you know, wanting to choose. Some of them went straight in, just grabbed the one that it's like they knew. And this, this little girl was the cutest. I took like all these pictures of her because she got her photo and then she just like cherished it. She just held it for the whole time, like from line to line. So, so they, they made their choice and they went out and then they took their, their photo that you guys now see, the envelope you got today. And then they went and they wrote a letter to, to you. You're going to receive that soon. And so that, that whole experience was amazing. But then as Tim talked about, like the work that World Vision is doing there is phenomenal. It was it was really incredible yeah. to, just to see that and be part of that. So we went to this, uh, this family's home on Thursday morning, and we saw what they had to do before World Vision came in to get water. We had to walk probably a quarter mile yeah. down this steep hill, which I imagine in a rainstorm would be a mudslide. It was treacherous. It was very treacherous. <laughs> so they would walk a quarter mile to get water. They actually gave us the small the, jugs, the if you saw we're all in these jugs. And they would have to fill up their water there twice a day. For, for their neighbors, others in that community, it was an hour journey. Some of them were walking over a mile to go get water twice a day. So World Vision, because of the sponsorships, because of what we, we've invested here, was able to put in a yard tap in their front yard. So now they have this ability to just walk out, fill up their water. Their neighborhood comes to them or, or one of other, like what, 20? I, I think it was close to 32 different taps they put in the community. So Amazing. people did not have to, either common taps or yard taps, they called them. Um, yeah. And just so you know, the, the getting the water falls on the, on the girls, on the little girls in the community. So if you got to walk an hour in the morning, an hour in the evening, think about how that impacts your education. It impacts your safety. 
safety. This, the well is not necessarily in a safe area. It's kind of secluded in the jungle. And so the attacks happen and that sort of thing. So just changing the water resourcing. I, I was walking, when we were walking there, we got out of the yard to the road and I told one of the guys who was with us, I said, I, that's already further than I've ever walked for water right? Because we walked to the other room and just going out of their yard was further than I've ever walked for water. And then it was significant after that. Yeah. So Crosswalk family, thank you so much for, for your partnership in this endeavor, for your sponsorship. And it was such a proud moment for both of us to stand there on your behalf and to be part of this. So thank you so much. We also want you to know that you can still, you may have to forward that slide for some reason, this isn't working. You can still sponsor a child if you would like to, and we'd love to have you do it. We still have places to take pictures out there, but just cross CW, what was that? C what was I saying? <laughs> text, text CW Redlands to 56170 and you can get that process started and we can still, it's going to be a long day Pray already. For, um, for, for sure. You got it, bro. It's going to get worse. <laughs> Thank, Thank you. you, Pastor Mike. Thanks for coming with us. That was such a fun trip, man. And if you're wondering, Pastor Mike is that positive even when he is dead tired in other countries. He just wakes up like, hey, and like, I want to hurt people. And he's just like, ah. it's great. Super annoying in the morning, but it's great. It's, I love it. It's great. No, truly, it was really a phenomenal opportunity. So thank you, World Vision. Um, thank you for sponsoring as many kids as you have and continue to do so is really incredible. We had one family here that sponsored 21 people. 21 kids. It was incredible. Yeah, one family. So, um, so anyway, just just phenomenal work. And uh, today's going to be exciting because you're going to get to walk out of here and see who chose you, which is really, really amazing. Um, and you know, this is a small thing for us, really. It, it was, it was awesome to be in country. I mean, I recommend you go to Uganda, but I recommend that you stay there more than 52 hours or whatever. Um, we just barely got to see what, what is going on there. But this small little, little beginning, right, becomes something huge. And scripture actually speaks to that. And it, it's interesting when we talk about momentum, because the reason why we did Chosen last week as we begin this momentum series is that it's something we can do to begin that momentum to move but it's just a small beginning and scripture actually speaks to small beginnings. In fact, in Zechariah 4.10, it says, do not despise these small beginnings for the Lord rejoices to see the work begin, to see the plumb line in Zerubbabel's hand. This comes, just so you know, in the context of the vision that Zechariah has of building the temple. And the text is all about momentum, which we're gonna get to. However, this phrase is worthy for us to note. Momentum comes from a small beginning. In fact, there's a phrase that is actually quite famous that says big things have small beginnings. Now, depending on how old you are, you recognize this famous line spoken by T.E. Lawrence in Lawrence of Arabia. Or if you're a little younger, you might remember this particular phrase being spoken by Michael Fassbender as David the Android in the movie Prometheus. But it's pretty obvious, big things have small beginnings. Don't believe me? Apple computers started in a garage. HP, Microsoft, Facebook, Amazon, garage, garage, dining, or, uh, dorm room, garage. Big things have small beginnings. Every band you love to listen to 
started with somebody sitting down, one or two people in a garage in a front room, starting to play music and go, hey, this could be something, right? Regardless of who you like, Coldplay, you too, even Beyonce or Jay-Z standing on the corner rapping, something big has a small beginning. Every church that influences you had two or three people gather together, crosswalk the same way. Maybe we could do a young adult ministry in the Azure Hills Church. Maybe we could move on and become our own church. A small group of people that catch a vision, that captures momentum, a conversation, and a conviction. But those convictions come from somewhere. They're a calling from God to begin small, but to see beyond your front room, beyond the meeting in your garage, the song that you just wrote, Every big thing has a small beginning. And Scripture tells us not to despise small beginnings. Right, so there you have it. But the Zechariah text also has a secret, just a few verses in front of this incredible piece of wisdom. So jumping to Zechariah 4, 6, it says this, Then he said to me, This is what the Lord says to Zerubbabel. It is not by force nor by strength. But by my spirit, says the Lord of heaven's armies, force and strength, this is momentum. How hard and how fast you throw something determines its impact. I love watching those super slow-mo videos of like a bullet going through things, whether it's a, a balloon or an apple or a brick. I mean, it's incredible to see that that mass moving at that velocity, what it does. I mean, we realize the destructive power that guns wield, right? Force and strength. Mass times velocity. Here's, the, here's the, the algorithm, if you will, right? Therefore, the greater the object's mass or the greater its velocity, the greater its momentum. So what does the Bible say? In Zechariah 4, 7, it continues, nothing, not even a mighty mountain will stand in Zerubbabel's way, right? This is impact. The no object not even a mountain, which is the biggest thing on the planet that they could access and they, they could see, that won't stop God. It will become a level plane before him. And when Zerubbabel sets the final stone of the temple in place, the people will shout, may God bless it. May God bless it. What this means is that if the Holy Spirit is moving something, the Holy Spirit himself has mass and velocity. And it's weird to think of the Holy Spirit as having mass, Right? Velocity makes sense because it's spirit, but, but we can extrapolate that the Holy Spirit, because it is velocity, because it is momentum, has velocity and uses mass somehow, right? We know that it accelerates a community's movement. And we know that it has mass because when two or three are gathered together, there is the Holy Spirit as well. But the truth is we don't really like to start small, Right? And I think that's human nature. We want to start big. We want to kick things off in major ways. But again, we're implored. Don't despise small beginnings. The truth is, to build a house, you have to lift the first stone. Now, I've never built a house, but we have two people right there in the second row that have just finished building a house out in Joshua Tree, Josh and Britt. They're amazing. And if you don't follow them on Instagram, I don't know what you've been doing because they show you how they built this house. Now, I don't believe that you all are house builders. That's not what you began as, but you are now. 
But when they began to build this house, they, they moved to Joshua Tree of all places. And they said, this is going to be beautiful. And they had a vision they could see. But my bet is to start that house, you had to move a stone from that ground. You had to find the place where you're going to build that foundation. And what they've built is incredible. And when you look at their Instagram page, you see that this house was built with love and joy and frustration and anger and blood and tears and laughter. And it looks pretty big. Good job. But it started by moving a small stone from a patch of ground in the desert. So today I have to ask you this question. What is the first stone that you need to lift in order to begin your journey of momentum, to begin to build what God wants to build in your life? What is that little step, that little decision, or that little insight that you need to begin this momentum in your life? What is the Holy Spirit prompting you to do? My bet is you know, but you just haven't moved that first step. This is the reason why we started with this chosen. It's to give you an opportunity to move a first step. And there's another story of a, of a small beginning that I think is important for us to study today. The story of David is a story of small beginnings and the power of momentum. And while we all know this story, do we understand how the Holy Spirit was working to create the momentum that David needed from a small beginning? So we jump into the story. We won't go through the whole thing, but we jump into the story when, when Samuel had gone to Jesse, David's father, because Samuel was in the process of finding a new king. The only problem was they had an old king, so it feels a little premature. But he goes to Jesse and he says, I'd like to see your sons. So Jesse brings out all the sons, but then this is where we jump into the interaction in 1 Samuel 16, 11. It says, then Samuel asks, are these all the sons that you have? And Jesse goes, well, they're still the youngest. But he's out in the fields watching the sheep and the goats. Samuel says, send for him at once. We'll not sit down to eat until he arrives. Right? But you see, he saw all his favored children, but there was one that was left out. Some of you come from a lot of, a lot of siblings, right? If you come from two siblings, nobody gets left behind, right? Because, you know, you're playing man-on-man defense, a parent, a kid, you know. Everybody knows if a kid's not there. You get three kids, you know, there's one little variable running around, but you're, you know, you're pretty sure you... You have four kids, somebody's going to get left behind. We dedicated five Guzman children this morning. They had them all there. I thought that was really impressive, honestly. One didn't get left in the car. My wife grew up with three brothers and sisters, so four in total, and their youngest was often being left places. In fact, when my parents met her parents the first time and we were going out to eat, we got around the block before we realized her youngest brother wasn't with us. Fascinating thing was we drove back and he was like, all the time, happens all the time, right? Now, we don't want to say it this way, but sometimes those, those lesser children feel a little disposable, and that's how Jesse felt about his son. This kid, too small. It's a small beginning. Why would anybody want him? But Samuel says, no, I need to see all of them, even that least one, even that last one. That's the one I need to see. Well, you know the story. David's the one who's chosen, right? By God, by Samuel. So we jump a little ahead in the story from 1611 to chapter 17, verse 34. At this point, he's talking to Saul. Saul who said, hey, if you're going to fight this guy, you need to wear my armor and you need to use my sword, none of which fit David because David was way too small. Small beginnings. 
So we jump into 1734 where David is actually presenting himself to Saul. And this is what he says. He says, persisted. He said, listen, I've been taking care of my father's sheep and goats. When a lion or a bear comes to steal a lamb from the flock, you know, he's, he's talking to Saul, right? Explaining why he didn't want to wear his armor. But really what he was doing was saying, listen, this is why I don't despise my small beginnings. I've been taking care of my father's sheep and goats, the least child, the one who got stuck with the worst duty. But he wasn't upset about it because it was a platform to learn competency, to build experience, and to begin to understand God's momentum and find courage within it. When you surf, you surf small waves first if you're smart. When you mountain bike, you go easy trails first. You don't start at the top. You start and build your way up. But David continues, listen, I go after one of these, lamb, one of these, one of these you know, lions or bears. I go after it with a club and rescue the lamb from its mouth. If the animal turns on me, I catch it by the jaw and club it to death. These small beginnings, you know what they do? They build courage and competency. Small beginnings build courage and competency. Speaking, when you begin to speak to people publicly, you don't usually start with three or 4,000 people. You start with three or four people listening to what you have to say. Right? When you sing, you don't usually sing in front of thousands of people. You learn, you grow into that. You have to build your competency. You have to build your courage. Every once in a while, a young pastor will come to me and say, I want to do what you do. I want those cool speaking gigs. I want to travel the world and do the things that you do. And I'm like, okay, you know what I was doing at your day, at your time? I was doing the week of prayer in Bakersfield. Do you know where that is? Nobody does. <laughs> I went to Modesto, which sounds like a disease. Sorry if you're from Modesto, <laughs> but you have it. Um, small beginnings build courage and competency. And he says this, because he's pretty confident in himself. David had no lack of self-confidence. He said, I've done this to both lions and bears, and I'll do it to this pagan Philistine, for he has defied the armies of the living God. Listen, this is a big promise. But he had the courage and competency to back it up. So again, a question I have for you today is how is God building your courage and your competency? Right? This is why we started with World Vision. A small little commitment. Small for you. But as we saw while we were there, it's huge for the community. Courage and competency take trust as well. So this builds trust in God. Trust in yourself and in your abilities, in your calling, and you're learning how to live in faith. So we pick up the story now on the field of battle where the Philistines were on one side and the Israelites were on the other side. And there was a lot of cat calling back and forth, yelling at each other. And so we jump in 1 Samuel 17, 44. Come over here. And I'll give your flesh to the birds and the animals, Goliath yelled. Right? And I love this interchange that we're about to see. Because, you know, Goliath is pretty confident in himself. And he's like, come over here. And I'll, I'll take care of it. Right? In fact, I even speak to this in the series guide. So hopefully you're studying around that. But David, in his youth and his vigor, says a lot. Promises a lot. But also understands who is making the promises for. Goliath was using his usual method of intimidation. Hey, I'm a big dude. I'm going to come and I'm going to chop your head off. I'm going to feed it to the, I'm going to feed your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. 
you know what David's response was? And it was bold. David replied to the Philistine, you come to me with sword, spear, and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. David knows where his momentum comes from, always from God, always from the Holy Spirit. Right? Today, the Lord will conquer, and I love this, right? Today, the Lord will conquer you, but I get to kill you and cut your head off. And then I will give the dead bodies of your men to the birds and the wild animals. And the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. Now, this is like, you can chalk this up to the foolishness of youth, right? How many times when we were young did we say just stupid, stupid things? Maybe, maybe it was just me. Maybe it wasn't you. But see, David doesn't stop. He says, the Lord will conquer and I will kill. And I don't know if you know a lot about this story, but if you haven't read Malcolm Gladwell's story, um, Malcolm Gladwell's book, David and Goliath, it's worth, it's worth reading, really interesting stuff. One of the propositions is that it's perhaps Goliath had acromegaly is what it's called, which is um, kind of a giantism. If you, if you ever saw Andre the Giant wrestle, right, back in the day, he, he had acromegaly, which, which is proposed that may have made Goliath either very nearsighted or have double vision. Because if you read in the account that when Goliath came down to the battlefield, he was taken by a valet because maybe he couldn't see that well. And then when he yells out to David, he says, why are you, why are you sending this, this person to me? Out? Why are you sending me this young man with sticks? Essentially what he says, they're wondering if he had double vision and he saw his limbs and he couldn't quite figure out what was going on. Now, some of this has a tendency to diminish the power that Goliath had. I don't really think that's true. I think what it does is it reminds us that there's lots of things that are happening in the world, but God was still definitely in the midst of this story, right? In the killing theater, David was still outmanned. But David did an interesting thing, right? David decided that he was going to fight in his own skin. David decided that there was a way that God had been building his courage and his competency, because he'd been out taking care of sheep and goats. Now, there's not a lot of intellectual work that goes into that. It's basically like keep them over here and then keep them over there. There's a lot of downtime. So chances are what he did, if he's like any other young person, is he takes that slingshot that he has and he practices, right? Puts a rock on a rock and he practices. And he does this day after day, hundreds of times a day, if not thousands of times a day. This is how he knew how to fight. He didn't have a sword and he wasn't fighting with somebody else. He wasn't wearing armor. He was just in his own skin shooting that rock. This small little thing, this small thing that you wouldn't even think, it's a hobby. It's nothing else. But when it comes to fighting this infantryman, this, this giant of a soldier, David knew that his competency and his courage came from this small little thing that he had been doing again and again and again. So David's shouting back at Goliath and he's not done. Then he says, and everyone assembled here will know that the Lord rescues his people, but not with sword and spear. I'm not gonna fight you the way you want me to fight you. This is the Lord's battle and he will give you to us. David understood his place, his courage and his competency, and most importantly, his God. When I first got to Crosswalk, we had this meeting with uh, communities, and I think I may have told this story before. We had this meeting with community members, and, um, 
And I maybe foolishly said, I, I look forward to the time when there's going to be a thousand people worshiping with us. And I had people come unglued. We never had a thousand people at this church. You can't call out a number. That's not okay. You can't say we're going to have a thousand people. What happens when, it, when we don't get to a thousand? I said, we're not going to get to a thousand. God's going to get to a thousand because I believe God is going to build his kingdom. When we got to a thousand, all those people came back and apologized because <laughs> it's not our battle. This is the Lord's battle. This is what God is doing. So you got to understand whose battle it is that you're fighting today. Is it yours or God's? Whose competency and momentum are you leaning on? Is it yours or God's? What have you been doing in those small things that God is building your competency and your courage and you're learning how to live in faith because of those little things that you are doing? How are you fighting this battle that God has given you in your own skin? See, I think the problem is that we live most of our lives like agnostic people. We don't believe God's going to show up. We don't believe God's going to do anything. We don't believe that God is training us right now in the little things that we're doing to to continue to find victory in the battles that are ahead of us. We live in ways that we think God only shows up at church when we show up. You really want to make God that small? Because David didn't. David had no reason to believe he could win that battle. No reason to believe other than the faith that he had that God had been already doing a good work in him as he walked onto that battlefield. David didn't take somebody else's armor. David didn't take somebody else's wisdom. David knew how to live a life of faith in God in his own skin, knowing that in those little things that he didn't despise, he didn't hate the fact that he was a shepherd. He knew that God was using him and preparing him for something in exactly the situation where he sat that day to be able to do something greater. What is God doing in your life right now, preparing you for the battle that he has for you? And how is he moving that in momentum and getting you to that place where you can exercise that competency and that courage and that faith? But now we get to the battle. As Goliath moved closer to attack, David quickly ran out to meet him. David wasn't, David was ready. David was eager. When you know that God has got your back, you should be eager. If you've ever played on a team and you know you can play the sport that you're playing, you want coach to put you in. Come on, coach, put me in. You know, it's heartbreaking when the coach is like, nah, not you. You know, that's a learning experience too. So reaching into his shepherd's bag and taking out a stone, he did the same thing that he had done a thousand, a hundred thousand times before. Right? And we all know the song. It's hard to tell the story without singing the song, right? And one little stone went in the sling and the sling went round and round. And round and round and round and round and round. It's like Disney wrote that song. He shouldn't have done it. And round and round and round and round and round and round and round. There's more words in the English language we could have come up with. And one little stone went in the sling. And a giant came tumbling down. He hurled it with his sling and he hit the Philistine in the forehead. And talk about momentum. The stone, the stone sank in. Mass and velocity hits an object and sinks into it. Just like in Zechariah, it said Zerubbabel, when it hit that mountain, the mountain would become a plain field. He used a little, his little skill to advantage in a much bigger arena. It was the momentum, it was the mass and the velocity that threw that stone. And you know how God was also working? It is proposed that on that field, the stones that David picked up 
We're made of barium sulfate. That doesn't mean much to most of us, so I had to look it up. Barium sulfate is twice the density of regular rocks. That's just happenstance that he picks rocks up from that field. But I believe that God needed that battle to be on that field. And he needed that warrior to be David who had that one skill from that small beginning that he needed to win. So what happens? David triumphed over the Philistine with only a sling and a stone because he didn't have a sword in his own skin from small beginnings. Then David ran over, pulled Goliath's sword from his sheath, and David used it to kill him and cut off his head. When the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they turned and ran. The victory was complete. But it was a small thing for David in the end. Same thing he'd done 100,000 times. So what small thing are you currently doing that can be used for great things? Short illustration. And thanks for coming up here, Isai. When Isai was in high school, he wanted to play keys but he didn't have room for a keyboard and a bed in his room. So he asked his parents to move out his bed. And in my head, he slept under the keyboard. He just told me that's not true, but in my head, keep it, that's a better picture for me, so keep it in there. Um, that small little thing, that little choice that he said he made, brought him to a place where he's done much greater things. And just so you know, he doesn't just play here and he doesn't just play at other churches on other days of the week. He recorded with Black Voices. He was out in Kansas City a few months ago doing a massive concert with uh, circuit riders. God has gifted him in his own skin to do the thing he's done a thousand times from small beginnings to win greater and greater battles. Now, some of you are about to experience a small thing that is leading to a greater thing. Some of you are gonna walk out of here and you're gonna go find the child that chose you. You're gonna find that envelope, you're gonna see your name, you're gonna take it down, you're gonna take out a beautiful picture of a child holding up your picture. And hopefully in a few days, you're gonna get an email that's gonna have a letter from the child and why that child chose you. And I gotta tell you, that was fascinating to watch as Mike said, some kids went right in and were like, that's the one. Other kids danced and were having a fun time. Other kids were real serious when they walked in and they were staring at every person. Trust me, it took a while for my, I'm not like Bernie Anderson who made it a point for us to know he was the first chosen. Like uh, kids would walk by and they'd get, they'd get to our picture and I'd be like, yeah, man, come on, look at us. We're... <laughs> Passed by, broke my heart. But then, but then when the child did, when Renald did, and he chose us. Man, I was so excited. And so I went up to him and I was like, hey, Renault. And he was like, <laughs> I'm like, that's, that's me. That guy, I'm him. And I took off my glasses so he could see. And he was still like. <laughs> the same thing happened with Mike's kid as well. How are you here? <laughs> this is a small thing. Leads to great things that are going to happen in Uganda because of the work that you're doing. But beyond even that, 
What is that small thing? What is that rock you need to pick up? What is that thought you need to have? How is the Holy Spirit moving momentum in your life through your competency and through your courage? What is it that God has for you? That small thing, don't despise it. That small thing that you do that God is going to use for great things. What is it? And I think you already know. But you've been afraid to step out in courage and faith. Because you think, how can God possibly use this thing that I do? I don't know what it is. But God will build momentum in you and through you because of it. God will expand his kingdom. And there will be more love and there'll be more grace and there'll be more mercy in this world because of you and that small thing that has built your competency and that has built your courage and has taught you how to have faith in God. Don't despise the small things that God has given you to do because they lead to massive impact. I'm so grateful for you. So grateful for what God has called you to do. And I'm so grateful that we had the opportunity to go out and see what your $39 a month, it's nothing compared to the impact that it has. So never question it. If you have a month where you're like, I don't know, I don't know, take a look at that picture of that kid and realize you're not saving that kid. That kid is saving you. That kid is changing your heart and your life and putting your priorities straight. And their lives are going to be changed. But greater than that, the world is going to be changed by what God is placing on your heart today in those small things to build the momentum to make a massive impact. Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you. Thank you for the decision Isaiah made to put a keyboard to sleep in a sleeping bag. And for David to shed... Saul's armor and fight in his own skin. And for the 432 people from this community, and I know that there will be more today who've made a commitment to world vision and to that child. Lord, make it clear on what it is that we need to do, what rock we need to move, what decision we need to make in order to begin to build the thing that you would have us build. More than anything, Lord, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your compassion. Thank you for the vision that you give us to change the world. Let us not despise those small things, but let us look to the greater impact those small things will ultimately achieve. Pray these things in your name, the name of Jesus. Amen. Now, Crosswalk Church, before you run out, I just want to say a couple more things. One is thank you for the way that you give to this church. It's incredible, it's important. We are able to do the work of God because of the way you give both locally and through tithe through the Greater Adventist community. So thank you for both those things. Number two, if you want some more clarity and prayer on how, on what it is that God is calling you to and those small things, come and pray with our prayer team today. They'll be right up here. If you wanna sponsor a child, you can still do that out in the back. Um, make sure you text those numbers or whatever to get started in that process. And lastly, I want you to do what you do best, which is to go and love well. Have a wonderful week and thank you.